Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Waco Famous Podcast. It's Whitley and Ashley. Um, I'm going to let Ashley tell you a little bit about what we're going to be talking about today. Hey, guys. um, We invited Dr. John Singletary on to discuss all things Enneagram. He's kind of our resident Enneagram expert. He's been studying it for 10 plus years. So John, I mean, you and I are pretty well acquainted at this point. I think I will let you kind of introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about you. Yes, gladly. Thanks so much for including me in this. This is fun to get to do with you both. Well, I'm John Singletary. I'm, uh, my, my day job is <clears throat> serving as the Dean of the Diana Garland School of Social Work at Baylor University. And uh, by night, I'm the parent of five teenagers, uh, boys and one daughter, ages 13 to 19. So that's the crazy part of my life. Uh, And then, so I can get out of the house on occasion, I teach the Enneagram. It's a nice (laughs) outlet. It's a nice outlet for you. (laughs) Yes, yes. (laughs) That's awesome. Um. How long have you been studying the Enneagram? Well, I didn't mention my wife and that I should say uh, that, of course, my wife is part of the mix in this uh, family of ours. And she and I have done Enneagram work for about 10 years now. Uh, A lot of it together. I did a training program. There was a three-year apprenticeship with Suzanne Stabile. And I learned about the Enneagram about 25 years ago when I was I went to seminary, learned about it then, but didn't really make sense of it until about 10 years ago when I figured out my number. I always tell people the Enneagram really doesn't catch you or make sense to you until you figure out your number and then just couldn't get enough of it. Oh, yeah. Well, and it just kind of it has been trending <clears throat> so hot the last couple of years. And I'm wondering kind of where do you have any idea where that kind of trend came from I mean I see it everywhere now (laughs) well my joke is that evangelical Christians get a hold of it it takes off like wildfire Uh, and that's kind of what happened I mean I identify as a Christian as well so I get that but uh, you know once once a book comes out and it gets on Christian podcasts and Baylor gets a hold of it then it just kind of takes off. So it, it ha- I mean, you know, social media 
helps, all the memes. Um, you know, there's a new and go of how nine different ways of responding to coronavirus. <laughs> yeah, I saw that number. one. <laughs> so uh, make it, you know, both funny, but also interesting to people of, oh, so, so what is this? And people like to think about themselves. We're not very good at doing it in depth, but everybody wants to be able to make sense of who they are and how relationships take. Uh, and so it really is a practical tool that people are looking for. Yeah, I am. Um, we talk about it a lot at work inside the salon because um, us girls at the salon all know our numbers and a lot of clients will talk about it. But a lot of people do end up saying, well, what's the point? It's just like a lot of people think that it's really similar to just kind of the basic personality tests. But really, it goes so much deeper than that. And it's fascinating, especially when you start comparing like friendships or romantic relationships or your parents or siblings. Um, I really feel like it's helped me to kind of understand people's reactions better, people's motives better. Um and I mean, that's the point of it, right? Is to kind of learn how to navigate relationships throughout your life. Absolutely, Whitley. And I would love to join y'all in the salon and just hear those <laughs> conversations. Oh my gosh, that'd be so fun. I mean, just day in, day out, clients coming and going, talking about their journey and to have a tool like this. I mean, y'all could right. be... You, you you could be a therapist on the side while you're at that chair. With I mean, I car. already feel like I am. So I just need to like up my fee a bit. Right, we'll get a social work degree and you could totally make that happen. Yeah. So well, that's we, the kind of, you know, it, I mean, you know that I'm guessing that the people who uh, talk about it more are the ones that have figured out their number and the yeah. ones that don't get it are the ones that have probably read the memes but haven't taken the time to really figure out their number. Now that's not always true. Some people figure out their number, but just kind of move on. And and that's mm -hmm. fine. I'd rather people do that than turn it into a weapon and start, you know, beating people up with it. Because like you said, while it is a great tool to help relationships, if you don't take it seriously, the way it becomes a weapon is we start saying things like, well, of course you're doing that. You're just a seven, or of course you're doing that. You're just a, and you know, either using it to beat yourself up or to blame others for their behavior is really the the worst part of the Enneagram. For sure. And I get a lot of questions um, when we start talking about Enneagram, because Whitley and I talk about it a lot. Um, people are like, well, how do I find out what my number is? And, you know, I think a lot of people jump to, can I go take a test? And I remember you specifically telling the class and workshop that you held at Bolt that, you know, the the test is okay. I don't want to point you there. It's not completely accurate. You kind of need to work through some stuff. So I would love for you to tell in your own words, because I, I would imagine there's probably quite a few people that are going to be listening to this that are like, well, I do want to know my number and I don't know where to start. Yeah. So I'll, I'll mention some tests that I think are <clears throat> decent first, and then I'll tell you why I'm not a fan of them in general. So uh, the, of course, the best website out there, I think, is the Enneagram Institute's website. And the founders of the Enneagram Institute are, and it's easy to find, Google it, are Riso and Hudson. And people are familiar with some of their books usually. And they send out a daily uh, like motivational message for all nine types, which is a fun thing you can sign up for once you figure out your number. You can order that on their website. And they have a test. It's called the 
again, their names are Riso and Hudson. So their test is R-H-E-T-I, Riso and Hudson Enneagram Type Indicator. And it's a decent test. Uh, there's another one that's called the IEQ-9 that's based out of South Africa. It's a pretty good test. And the tests are getting better because people are studying how do you make them reliable and valid or the scientific words we use to talk about how accurate these kinds of things are. But the reason I'm not a fan of the test is you can take a test in 30 minutes and it will spit out its best guess of what your number is or some of the tests tell you the top three guesses. And that's good, but if you just take a test and have your number, then you still don't really get it. So just because somebody tells you what your number is, if you haven't looked into it, read what the Enneagram Institute has to say, listen to some of Suzanne's podcasts, you know, if you don't do some homework, then knowing your number doesn't mean much. And if you learn your number by doing the homework, then of course it means a whole lot more. And the reason why, one of the fancy words we use to talk about why the Enneagram matters is discernment. And discernment is just a, a fancy word for listening deeply. And we, we often say, listen to yourself, which is about self-awareness or introspection. And that's one of those things we don't do all that well. And a test doesn't help you do that. A test, you know, you're done in 30 minutes and you haven't done any self-reflection, really. You've just, you took a test and you moved on. If you could sit with those questions over like the course of, two weeks and journal about them, then that would be good self-reflection. But I've told people that for years and no one's ever done it. <laughs> I, mean, I haven't done it either. I should do it too. But that's why I like, you know, a lot of the books have questions to, to ask you to help you consider if you might be this number. Suzanne's book with Ian, uh, The Road Back to You does that. The Riso and Hudson Wisdom of the Enneagram book does that. And it's really paying attention to those questions is the best way to help you figure out your number. Well, I remember um, you walking into <laughs> Bolt for the first workshop. I knew a little bit about Enneagram, not that much. Um, and I remember <laughs> saying to you, well, I think you said, to me, I think you said, what do you think your number is? And I said, well, I think I'm a two or a seven. And I think you point blank said to me, even though you're not supposed to do this, you said it very kindly. You're like, I'm willing to bet you're not a two. <laughs> so I actually hope I didn't offend you. You didn't at all. And then I went through your first class at Bolt and I was like, yeah, definitely not a two. But you made perfect sense of it, saying that most females tend to have two characteristics. Um, and yeah, I was definitely um, yeah. <laughs> confused with that. But <laughs> man, I learned so much from you. Either either women in the South, particularly Christian women in the South, have those characteristics or they're told they're supposed to. So they look for that in themselves. And that's true in our culture in general anyway. We all want to be helpful. And so if you think, if you just read through the types and think, oh, I'm going to pick the one that's most like me, oh, I'm helpful. People kind of have that thought about themselves. That doesn't mean that it's either all that accurate or that it really gets at the core of who you are and that your Enneagram type isn't something you're interested in or something you think you're supposed to be. It really reveals you know, much more in-depth motivations about what makes you tick. And most of it's pretty subconscious. 
So it really does take some deep listening to really figure out what are my, what are the fears that shape me day in, day out, that really shape how I interact with people? But what are, what are the desires I have in my relationships? Um, what, what do I need in relationships? I mean, just those three questions are great Enneagram questions. And those are great ways to really dig into who we are and how we connect with people. But most of us don't have a chance to really sit and reflect on those kinds of questions. Life is just too busy. We're kind of interested, but we don't take the time to do that. And that's what the Enneagram really invites. Yeah. I mean, I think I even remember you saying that even though you've studied this for 10 plus years and you know so much about yourself and your number and the wings and you can get into all that later if you want to. But I remember you saying that you still kind of go towards the, I don't remember how you put it, if you said that they were negative tendencies of your number or that sort of thing. And I I think that resonated with me because it's like, you know, that's just who you are at a core. So as much as you want to work on it, it's still going to come out at some point. Absolutely. Um, our, my, my friend and mentor, Suzanne, says that, and I think she probably got this from her mentor, Richard Rohr, that your personality taps you on the shoulder every 10 seconds. Now, most of us aren't paying attention to ourselves every 10 seconds, but that's, you know, that's day in and day out, something about your personality. And, and when she says taps you on the shoulder, the better metaphor is probably trips you up. Something about your personality trips you. And, and most of us have just gotten used to, to quickly recovering when we get tripped up. And we, we quickly recover and we hope no one's looking, right? And that's kind of what we do with our personality. We, we don't pay attention to the ways that we... Um, are aggressive or the way we withdraw or uh, the ways that we uh, avoid the things we're afraid of or the way we fight back against what we're afraid of or the, just the ways we seek uh, to be in control of the situation or to uh, make sure we're loved in a situation or make sense of the situation. All those things are what drives us, um, but it really does take work uh, to pay attention to that and to not let it get in the way of relationships. Um, another metaphor we sometimes use is, is just being on autopilot. Um, and you really have to learn to, again, be self-aware. There's a lot of talk these days about being mindful and the Enneagram is, that's really all it is. It's a, it's a tool to help us be mindful in relationships and in our daily interactions with, with others. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Well, what do you say to people, um, like for instance, me and one of my coworkers, we are the same number. Ashley and my husband are the same number, but yet seemingly nothing alike. And how do you tell people, well, you can be the same number, but you can have different personalities, right? I, I, absolutely. So there are a couple of different ways to, to think about that. One of the things that I love about the Enneagram so much is it, it is dynamic. One of people's fears with the Enneagram is that it's going to put them in a box. And some numbers are more worried about that than others. You know, I'm not going to be put in a box. <laughs> and, and what I tell people is it, it just reveals to you the box you're already in. But what it also does is it helps us realize that every person kind of has their own box. It's just that some of our boxes are similar to other people's boxes. And so one of the analogies 
I use is that of colors. And Ian happens to use it as well. Uh, and Chris Hewart, another Enneagram author, talks a little bit about colors and personality. And the the first part of the analogy is the the Crayola box of eight crayons. I really wish there were nine in that little bitty box of crayons because it would fit the Enneagram better. But for some reason, they only used eight. And you can do a lot with those eight crayons, but it's not every color under the rainbow. And everybody likes the box of 64 better, you know, the built-in sharpener who didn't love that. <laughs> but a lot of it's just different versions of the same eight colors. And then even more dynamic is the Pantone color wheel that graphic designers use. And it has thousands of colors. But at their core, they're just different variations of those same eight colors. And really, it's variations of three colors. And we can talk about that later. <laughs> red, red, yellow, and blue. Right. And with the Enneagram, we really talk about how at the core of the Enneagram is, could be three primary colors. And I describe them as thinking, feeling, and doing. And thinking and feeling and doing happen to work in different ways that create these nine patterns or these nine types. And while I think all of us truly are one of these nine types, we're not all this. We're not all the same. So, I, like you said, not all threes are the same, but we all are different versions of the shade of red, if that's what a three is, or blue, if that's what a seven is. You know, whatever. If we if we were to assign each number a color, there would be so many different versions of that color that we could see similarities, but you wouldn't see the same thing. Yeah. Now, another practical way for understanding that is what you already mentioned, your wings, the numbers across from you that the arrows connect to on the Enneagram. And then there's some sub levels within your number. Some people call them subtypes or instincts of variance. And all of those things give you a little different nuance in your number. So if I'm a three with a two wing, I'm going to be different than a three with a four wing. If I'm a three who's more connected to nine, I'm going to be different from a three who's more often connected to six. And, and all day, every day, a three is connected to, to each of those numbers, the two and the four and the six and the nine. And all day, um, you know, each of our numbers is connected to two numbers across from you and the two numbers on either side of you. And you're kind of moving in between those numbers yeah. in a way that makes yeah. us all similar, but all different. Yeah, that's great. I mean, it's like you can, I've tried to explain that to people, but you're way better at it. <laughs> I like the color. I like the uh, color comparison. That really, it paints a really good picture that makes a lot of yeah. sense. It really is so interesting. And you explaining the feeling, thinking, doing um, within the Enneagram diagram was, it answered so many questions about myself that I didn't realize because I was on autopilot and right, right. I was just like, this makes so much sense. I kind of thought there was something wrong with me <laughs> from, from being like kind of a little bit far away from the feelings category. <laughs> so things started making a lot more sense to me once you kind of put that perspective in place for me. Yeah. I mean, as a, you know, as a seven, a thinker and a doer, a thinker and a doer and an ex and an externally focused thinker. So you have big ideas. You like to share those with people. You like to connect with people around exciting opportunities that all reflect 
your thinking and wanting to do something with it. And that, you know, that fits where the seven is on the Enneagram. It's a thinking number that's close to a doing number that's pretty far away from the feeling numbers. <laughs> that's so true. That is so funny. I love that. <laughs> I feel like um, the last, I'd say it's been a little over a year since I really figured my, you know, thought I figured my number out. There was a internal battle for a while, but um, <laughs> I really feel like it's, been fun for our group of girlfriends because we all really have looked into our number and we can all kind of not, not like you said, use it as a weapon, but kind of poke fun at each other in certain ways about it. But just because we know each other really well. And I think when you know other people's numbers, you can see things in them that, you know, are reflective of that number. And it's really fun, especially because a lot of us seem to all be different numbers. Mm -hmm. So it's been really fun to kind of Peek and decide, peek inside of like other people's minds a little bit by knowing that about them. There and it is gives such a level of depth of relationship. Right. I mean, you know, for a group of guys that know the Enneagram, you're no longer interested in just sitting around talking about sports because now you have this language that you can use to talk about relationships. And that's just not a thing guys typically want to sit around and talk about. But we all struggle to make them what we want them to be. And, and if you, and if we know this language, it really gives us something meaningful we can use without ha having to just bang our heads against the wall of why is this so hard? Um, and, and, and that's true for everyone or it can be for everyone who knows the Enneagram. So I love when small groups can use it that way to really uh, understand each other better and to invite people to get to know you better. Oh, yeah. There's a distinct moment in Whitley and I's friendship this past year. Um, she was just kind of having a moment. I have no idea what she's talking about, so I'm intrigued to do the story. <laughs> <laughs> Truth bomb. <laughs> she was kind of just having a moment on the couch. And oh. um, yeah, she knows what I'm talking about. Um, and Rachel and I were sitting in the kitchen and... Rachel's a nine and she and I were just kind of listening to Whitley kind of like she was just a little down and out about something and and I did start physically crying a little bit she, yeah I wasn't gonna say it unless you it's did. okay I don't care um <laughs> and Rachel and I did not move from the kitchen <laughs> we just kind of looked over at her and was like and then they just awkwardly it's okay <laughs> yeah they awkwardly shared a glance between each other like are you gonna go or am I gonna go or what do we do I don't really know what's happening they were both looking for feelings like they're blind. Yeah, they're like, oh no, how do we, she's crying, I don't know what to do. So oh we, it was like, we moved on, Wit was fine, she Whoa. got over it, she pulled herself together. But honestly, that moment broke me out of it, I was, I thought it was hilarious. Well, yeah, because then about an hour later, <laughs> I was curling my hair in the bathroom, we were going to go get dinner all together, and I, I it kind of came to me. And I just came out of the bathroom and I kind of yelled to them and I said, Whitley, on behalf of your seven and nine friend, I am very sorry that this is how we react <laughs> when feelings yeah. are outpouring. Yeah. Whenever it's awkward feelings for you. It was, it was, I thought it was really funny. Cause see, like if Stacy would have been there and she's a three, she would have probably not thought twice about like giving me a little side hug Sitting or being like, Hey, you. it's going to be okay. Like something very right. simple that y'all were 
you know, at a loss for words for. <laughs> so, so sad. Oh, man. So I guess we can backtrack a little bit if you want to kind of go over the basic, I mean, briefly, the basics of the kind of nine numbers. There's nine numbers and then the breakdown from there, as deep as you want to go, because I know that it can get a little bit rabbit hole-ish. <laughs> well, I, I can do a quick uh, tour of the Enneagram, I call it. That's similar to what I did for y'all at, at Bolt. Um, sure. I've already mentioned the feeling and thinking and doing as core dimensions of the Enneagram. And, and they're, they're core dimensions of the Enneagram because they're core dimensions of who we are. Most personality theories have something to say about how we are feeling people, thinking people, and doing people. And we all have access to all three of those centers of functioning. Sometimes we call them psychological centers of functioning. And you see all kinds of literature and references to them and, and education and leadership and psychology and personality theories. They, they just show up everywhere. And they really are at the core of the Enneagram. And one of the things that's true is that some people are more driven by one of those than the other two. And so one part of figuring out your Enneagram number is which one of those most drives you. And, and it can be, like most parts of our personality, subconscious. So it might take a little digging to really ask yourself. And most of us think we balance them. Most of us think, oh, I'm, I'm pretty good at all three. <laughs> well, that's typically not quite right. And one of them really is more dominant in your personality. So the quick tour of the Enneagram is there are three numbers that are feeling dominant. And one of those is an external feeler, meaning they might not be that tuned into their own feelings, but they almost automatically read other people's feelings and know what other people are feeling sometimes before we know it. And that's the two on the Enneagram. The two knows other people, connects with other people, values relationships deeply because they read other people's feelings. And if you ask, and, and they read what people need as a result of those feelings. Now, they might not know their own needs nearly as well as they know the needs of others. That's just a typical way that a two operates in the world. Now, these numbers are kind of on a spectrum. So the other end of a spectrum of the feeling numbers is the internally focused feeler. The four on the Enneagram is very uh, driven by their own feelings, and it's harder for them to connect with the feelings of others. So in some way, just the opposite of a two. They're swimming in the deep waters of feelings. They might not always be comfortable with them, but they know what it means to feel things deeply, and they can't escape those feelings. They wanna connect with other people and their feelings, and they can, but not nearly to the degree that they can make sense of their own journey, or at least that they're trying to make sense of their own journey, and they're always reading their own feelings. Well, in between that, I skipped over a number, and that's the number that, well, doesn't quite read other people's feelings that well or their own, and that's the three. Instead, the three worries about how people feel about them. Well, that's not a very healthy way to engage feelings, but that's kind of the world the, the three lives in. So those three feeling numbers, none of them are the best at feelings. None of them have the healthiest, 
well-rounded way of dealing with feelings. They're just all driven by feelings in some way or another. And when you're driven by feelings that much and you don't quite always know what to do with them, then shame is often at the core of people in this particular group of three. And we call these groups of these triads. So that's the feeling triad. That's the two, three, and the four. And it's that spectrum because they all deal with feelings differently, but subconsciously they're all driven by feelings. Now the next group are the thinking numbers. And there's a similar spectrum or range. And they're thinking numbers, but again, they're not the best at thinking. They just, they just can't stop thinking. They can't help but think through things for better or worse and in very different kinds of ways. So the, the first one is the uh, internally focused thinker that's not quite sure that they feel safe socially in the world around them. So they're really tuned into their own ideas and they just want to think things through. They just need more information. They just need to analyze things in order to make sure they're okay in the world. And that's the five. Well, you skip over to the seven and it's the externally focused thinker. So they're not quiet in their minds thinking things through. They're talking about their ideas. They're sharing their ideas. And they're making they're spreadsheets. Yes. <laughs> inviting people. Come along. Let's let's think about all these thoughts. <laughs> they're not quite sure that they feel safe in their own internal world. That's where they might get in touch with some feelings that they're not quite sure they're comfortable with. <laughs> so the five doesn't feel safe and secure in the world around them. The seven doesn't feel quite safe in their own world, but they're both trying to think their way out of it or think their way into safety and security. And in between those two numbers is the six. They're not quite sure inside themselves like a five. They're not quite as confident in the world around them like a seven. They want to trust others, but they're not sure they can trust themselves. And they just think that's how everybody is. If I can't trust myself, then how can I trust you? I really want to trust you. I really value our relationship. Connections matter to sixes. Uh, they have deep relationships, but they just tend to overthink things because they can't quite find a way to to feel safe and secure in the world. And so it's like they're on a, uh, the spinning wheel of their mind that they can't get off of, that they're, they're trapped and just overthinking things all the time. And, and they don't know how to trust their thinking, just like over with the feeling numbers, the three doesn't know how to trust their feelings. The six doesn't know how to trust their thinking. But all three of those numbers are thinking numbers in one way or another. They're in their heads. And I mentioned that they're all kind of seeking safety and security. And when you're in your head, trying to make sense of the world, trying to be safe, and you don't feel safe, then fear is kind of a common emotional response that all three of those numbers have. Five, six, and seven all wrestle with fear a little bit. And then last group of three are what we call the the gut or the body numbers or the doing. So it's the feeling, thinking, and doing numbers. And the eight, nine, one are the doing numbers. And there's a similar pattern. So the eight is the external doer. They're going to do whatever needs to get done. 
If somebody's in their way, they're going to find a way through. They're natural born leaders because they know how to accomplish things. If they see a need, they fill a need. And if you get in the way of them doing something and doing it well, they're not afraid of a fight. So uh, a friend of ours, I think in one of your workshops, um, Ashley, described herself as being conflict forward. Yes. Well, that's a very nice way to describe it. <laughs> uh, unafraid uh, of a fight. Now, if the eights are fighters, because they're trying to get things done, the one on the other side of that spectrum is the fixer. It's a little bit more internally motivated by a need to do the right thing. I, I need to I have strong feelings about what is right and wrong, and we should always be doing what's right. And I feel uh, deeply about doing the right thing and making sure that I'm good, making sure that I'm not making mistakes, always worrying that somebody will see them as falling short or making a mistake. So still doing and doing important things but doing what's right because of the voices in their head that are relentless telling them you're not doing enough. You're not doing it right. You're not measuring up. So if you're surrounded by the eight, the fighter and the one, the fixer, both of those numbers focused on doing the middle number there is the nine that knows that it's important to get things done. They're active and doing things all the time, but it's hard for them to prioritize. It's hard for them to decide it's worth all the energy to do what needs to be done. So they're just not comfortable following through on the tasks because it, it might take more energy than they want to offer or it might create conflict to really express what they think should be done. So they're not quite comfortable with all the doing energy, just like the six isn't quite comfortable with their thinking and the three is not comfortable with the feeling. So there you have a kind of a quick tour. The middle numbers are really wrestling with their thinking, feeling, and doing. And the numbers on either side of them, those triads, are driven by one of those uh, categories. Um, and, and when I present the Enneagram that way, you don't even have to go through and give the names of each number. Yeah. Like I didn't say that the two is a helper, mm -hmm. but the two is a helper because they have strong feelings about doing things for people externally focused feelings in order to do things for people. Well, that would that's what makes them a helper. And really what's at the core of a two is thinking that that's the only way they have value is by reading other people's feelings and doing something about it. And the four thinks they only have value for understanding themselves deeply in their feelings. And they feel like other people need to understand them deeply too. And of course, no one can understand you like you can, but the four is kind of worry. Why am I misunderstood? Um, and so the, and with all those feelings, they're kind of trapped in this romantic world. Uh, so we sometimes call them the romantic. So each number has a name uh, that you can get from some of these characteristics. And that's the, that's the, you know, it's really too quick for people to necessarily to figure out their number. <laughs> But at least it describes the nine different ways that we all respond to thinking and feeling and doing. Yeah, no, that's great. Because I think a lot of times some people get caught up in the name of the number. So yes. I think just explaining it is fantastic. Um, and then briefly, wings. I mean, 
Can you do you jostle between your wings? Do you go to wings in certain scenarios? You have a stress wing and like a I mean, I'll let you. <laughs> well, but also <laughs> with wings, like yeah. so Ashley's a seven wing eight. She could only be a six or an eight wing. You can't jump from like you can't be a seven and have like a three wing or a one wing. It's gotta be your surrounding numbers, correct? That's exactly right. I hear people say all the time, particularly if you take a test and it says you could be a two or a six or a four, then people say, well, I'm a two with a six wing. <laughs> well, that's not right. <laughs> yes, exactly. Right. Your wing is the number on either side of your core number. So you can't make sense of your wing until you figure out your number. And what I learned from Suzanne, who learned from Richard is that you have one of those numbers for part of life. And then later in life, you develop the other one. So kind of the second half of life, you have both of your wings and maybe the second one becomes stronger than the first one. So maybe Mm -hmm. for the first half of your life, one was stronger and the second half of your life, maybe the other one gets stronger. And that's kind of true for me and my wife. So I like that theory, but it's just like so much of this. It's just a theory. I'm a three. I used to have much more of a four wing. I was much more introspective, introspective, a little moody, a little melancholy, a little more cynical, wanted to get things done, um, wanted to look good, wanted to achieve, but, um, you know, it was really fragile if people didn't understand me and my motivations and why I wanted certain things to go the way that I wanted them to go and wore my feelings on my sleeve. Well, later in life, and maybe it's maturity. You know, this this happens to a lot of people, even if you don't, I mean, you don't have to know the Enneagram to know that life gives you a little bit of balance um, over time. You, the smooth, uh, the rough edges get smoothed out. So Enneagram way of describing that is I developed more of a two wing. So, you know, a little more connected to people, a little bit more helpful and connected through relationships is the three with the two wing side of my personality. I still have a strong four wing, but I'm definitely have an even stronger two wing now than I think I used to. Now, how does that work? Well, it's just, it's just a part of your personality. And so I don't put a, a ton of stock in wings. Some people only describe themselves through their wings. So I'm a, <laughs> I'm a three wing two. I'm a three W two people. There are a lot of people that describe themselves that way. I just say I'm a three because I think your core number matters so much more than your wing. And really you just borrow a little bit of the characteristics of the numbers on one or the other side of you. And that's really all your wing is. It's a way to show some differences between the threes out there. And so the circle around the Enneagram kind of does matter because we're really, we're all kind of around that circle spread out. We're not all right on the point of where the three is. So I'm a three that's a, maybe a little closer to the, to the two. So some of that two is rubbed off on me. Now you do move a little bit, but you don't like move necessarily as much in and out like you do with the arrow numbers. So I tell people that those arrow numbers matter a lot more than, than the wings. And for a three, it's, six and nine and you know for every every number has different arrows that they connect to uh and really learning what those arrows are can give you even more insight to your personality 
than the wings can. And one of the things I say about the arrows is don't worry about what they mean or how to label them. And you were using some of these words, strength. Some people call them a strength arrow or a security arrow or a weakness arrow or a growth arrow or a stress arrow. And, you know, I, yes, I think that matters some, but I just tell people you, you need those, the numbers that your arrows to connect to even more in life to give you balance, to help you be a healthy person, to get you out of the ruts of your personality. So the ruts of my personality is a three are that because I think feelings get in the way and I don't understand them, but I want people to like me. Mm -hmm. I'm driven to accomplish things to make me look good. And so I'm on the go all the time doing, achieving, trying to win people's approval. And I have to have characteristics of six and nine to stop that habitual pattern. So if I'm driven to accomplish things, I need the sixth part of me to remind me that relationships matter, that loyalty matters, that connections matter, and people aren't just cogs in the wheel of my accomplishment. And then I need nine to slow me down. Nines are notorious for being uh, the ponderer. Let's just stop and think about it. And I'm seldom that way, but I need that part of my personality so I'm not just go, go, go all the time. That's really helpful, I think. Yeah. Because I think right now with social media, there's so much emphasis on wings. And it is those, all the memes are so fun and all the accounts are so fun to follow. But I think it confuses people sometimes because I'm so glad that I took your workshops and had you at Bolt because... Sometimes I see a meme and I'm like, oh, well, that doesn't really fit me. And I'm a seven and I don't, uh, you know, starts making you question. You're like, well, (laughs) there's so many intricacies to all of it that you can't, you can't encompass it into a meme. Right. So, and then I think I'm glad you kind of dove into the age thing because I vaguely remember you talking about you kind of enter what when do you develop your number? Because I think a lot of people think, oh, when I was young, I was this number, but now I'm this number, but you don't really swing numbers like that. No, your core number is, it is a part of who you are and a part of who you've always been. Now, whether you're born that way or it happens in early childhood, there's still some question about that and brain science is developing more and more by the year to give us a better sense of how uh, even in your utero experiences shape us and in early, early childhood experiences shape us. But definitely by mid to late childhood, your personality is pretty set and nothing really changes it at its core. Uh, You know, most of us experience trauma and somewhere or another people have a lot of questions about trauma and Enneagram and trauma and personality and trauma doesn't completely change your personality, but it does change a lot of things about you. And what we often tell people is one of the arrows is often called a stress arrow. And sometimes the effects of trauma can force you to live out of that stress response of your personality, but it doesn't change your personality it might change how you understand it. 
So I tell people to kind of look at those numbers and see if that's a pattern that you see when you think maybe you were a different number at a different point in life. How different was it? Now, the other thing I tell people is, are you one of the numbers that kind of shapeshifts according to your environment? That's just true for some personalities. I'm married to an eight. It is absolutely not true for an eight. She is authentic and truthful in every situation. Mm-hmm. If you don't like it, too bad. That's who she is. She's an eight. <laughs> well, as a three, I'm not quite that way. I worry about people pleasing and I want to make people happy. So whatever environment I'm in, I kind of adjust. So people will say, oh, we're well, awfully extroverted. Well, yes, if you need me to be. Or you're awfully introverted. Yes, if I can get away with it. Or <laughs> you're, you're awfully uh, you know, engaged and helpful. Well, yes, if it, if it helps me look like what I want to look like. And the, the middle numbers kind of have their own triangle in the middle of the Enneagram, the three, six, and nine. And each of those numbers kind of shapeshift a little bit. Threes are notorious for it, but nines can do that a little bit. And so can sixes. So some numbers look like they're changing, but they don't really change their personality. They just adjust in the moment more. And your arrows uh, even if it's not because of trauma or something particularly stressful, your numbers are ways that show differences in your personality. So sometimes people say, well, am I different at work than I am at home? You know, I feel like I have a different personality at work than I do at home. Well, maybe it's because of those arrows. If if your work life is particularly stressful, then maybe you use some of the characteristics of that stress number of that arrow to help you get through work. Or if your work is your healthy place and your family life is stressful, maybe you take on those characteristics more at home than you do at work. It doesn't mean you become a different number, but sometimes you just have those characteristics more. So because I um, have these five teenagers at home and there's so much going on, by the end of the day, I just don't have the energy that I do all day at work. So I'm much more likely to just want to check out or... Uh, my wife gets frustrated because I can just go to bed like that. So by <laughs> 10 o'clock, I feel like a different personality because I don't, you know, I, I no longer feel the need to accomplish things. I'm not trying to impress anybody at home. I'm a little overwhelmed by how loud our house is. Um, <laughs> and so it's easier for me to just kind of check out. And she'll say, well, there, you know, there comes the nine part of your personality. Can you turn your three back on and go do some dishes or something? Um <laughs> But it doesn't mean that I become a different person. I just kind of use different parts of my personality in different situations. Sure. And I think that was something that was so interesting as well when you were talking about um, how your numbers come across when you're parenting and learning your kids' numbers. And then even in relationships, um, I encouraged a lot of my friends after I heard you speak um, just to be like, Hey, I know this sounds kind of crazy, but everything you, I'm not in a relationship, so I have to divert to my friends to use this. (laughs) So, um, I was like, you know, it's, it really opens your eyes towards being more compassionate towards a partner or just understanding their reactions to things or their needs and that sort of thing. And I just think it's super fascinating. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but and it's true in your close relationships with your circle of friends as it yeah. is 
in, in my marriage or with my family, you know, you still need compassion to make relationships work. You still need people to have compassion for you when you act the way you do and you don't need to be, you know, harassed over and over again for that, um, which is what sometimes people tend to do to us. But for you to say, oh, I'm seeing this in myself, I'm trying to work on it. And for other people to, to be able to see, oh, I've noticed you've been working on that. That's, that's pretty awesome. You know, that's the gift of the Enneagram is how it can help us grow and be the people that we really want to be and feel like we were made to be. Yes. So I hope that's how we use it. Yes. yes. <laughs> I think we do. Yeah. 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 We poke fun, but no, yeah, we use in it a good way. <laughs> properly. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, well, and it takes work. I mean, it really does uh, for us to trust each other that way and for us to really to sustain using it as a tool for self-reflection really does take a lot of work. One of the kind of mantras that we use in the Enneagram is it's a tool for non-judgmental self-observation. And we live in a culture that's really good at judgmental observation. Mm-hmm. We look around things and are judging them. Oh, I don't like that. I'm glad I'm not like that. I'm, you know, I can't believe she's like that. So we do judgmental observation way too well. But the Enneagram says we have to practice non-judgmental self-observation. And that's much harder to do, to be kind to ourselves, to be forgiving and compassionate to ourselves, and, and to, to see how our personality both helps and hinders us. And then we can use that to grow and change. But it is a challenge. It is. Oh, yeah. Well, for anyone that is listening to this who this was the first time hearing about it or people who have maybe figured out their number but never, you know, looked into it any further, what would be like the biggest takeaway from this for them that might even help them to launch into investigating it more? Yeah. Well, if you're hearing it for the first time, don't be afraid by this funny word. It's it's (laughs) not a made up word. It's been around for a couple of thousand years, which just baffles people. It really didn't become this spiritual psychological tool until about 50 years ago, but the symbol has had that kind of significance for much longer than that. And so the takeaway is that we have this ancient resource that really does help us uh, to understand ourselves and to be our best self. But in order to do that, it really does require some work. So it is an invitation to create time to practice this non-judgmental self-observation or to practice introspection or mindfulness and something as simple as just observing yourself and knowing who you are more deeply is sometimes the hardest thing to do. But for people that are just kind of making sense of it, that's the thing I I, want to say is find time to use it in your own life. We all want to use it for other people because, again, it's easier to observe others than it is to do self-observation. But the Enneagram is not primarily about making sense of relationships. It's about making sense of yourself Mm -hmm. in relationships. Mm -hmm. So knowing other people's number doesn't matter near as much as knowing your number 
as it relates to other people. But that's the hard part. You know, we all want to think about the number of our spouse or our children or our parents, but spend twice as much time understanding your own number, digging deeper into your own number as you do the people that you care about. And then it really will have so much more significance for you. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much once again for joining me and continuously teaching me. And for anyone out there, um, Road Back to You is a really good book. Um, I I actually dove into that book and it's it's fantastic. Um, Susan Stabile, who we've talked about, um, actually is the author, co-author, author? Think yeah, she's co-author. Author. Yeah. And then her second book is The Path Between Us. And it's even better. It's shorter. Uh, you can still figure out your number from it. Her description of the nine numbers in the first chapter is the be- one of the best I've ever seen. And she does it in like two or three pages. And then it gives great tips for relationships, which is what people are interested in. And she's a great storyteller. So, so much more of who she is comes out in The Path Between Us, her second book. And then she started a, um, a podcast called Enneagram Journeys. Uh, so it's a great resource where she just interviews people of all nine types over and over again. So she's you know interviewed several ones, several twos, several threes. She interviews couples who are a three and an eight and a four and a seven and a <laughs> five and a two and a panel of numbers. So she's just done all these interviews uh, for like three years now. And it's a great collection of resources in her podcast. I love awesome. it. And then um, people can be on the lookout. Sometimes you're around town doing um, some Enneagram workshops. I know we're hosting you in May at Cotown Collab. So so excited to have you back for that. Thank you. Me too. It's fun to get to do. We often have events at Baylor. We just finished up a, a five-week series with my uh, teaching partner, Megan Becker, that we do for HR, for all faculty and staff at Baylor who are interested. Uh, and then I'm doing a better marriages, uh, uh, workshop with my wife, Wendy and April and San Antonio. Uh, so yeah, we do, um, a couple of workshops, uh, throughout the year and would love to see your listeners come and learn more. Awesome. I love that. Well, thanks so much again for taking the time and calling us and hanging out. This hour went by kind of fast, but I really even feel like talking to you, even though I know. I've learned so much in the last few months myself, but you brought up some great points that I kind of want to go back and revisit for sure. So, all right, Whitley, and then invite me to the salon so I can come hear all the uh, okay. women's stories. <laughs> You'll love it. Awesome. You can just sit in the corner and just like take it all in. <laughs> okay, back to my own hair. So don't judge me for okay. my own hair. No judgment. <laughs> okay, y'all are awesome. I'm so glad y'all are doing this. I can't wait to see how the podcast grows and you're doing great and fun work. Keep it up. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Enjoy spring break. (laughs) Okay. Thank you. Bye. 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 So don't forget that Friday, uh, the 27th, 27th. Yeah. We are hosting happy hour at Milo kicking off patio season. Uh, We have been talking to Corey a little bit, making some plans. I think we're going to have some, Snacks, snacks some sort. complimentary nacho bar, some discounted um, drinks. Yeah, and some of those drinks might actually be um, 
renditions of the drinks that Bobby made us um, on our last podcast. So that's exciting if any of those um, tickled your fancy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So just keep following us on Instagram. We um, have made a post about it, but we will keep everyone updated. So we hope to see some of you there. We will see you all back here in a couple of weeks. Bye.